Welcome to another episode of Long Play. This is a podcast where a couple of geeks get together and talk about one of their favorite albums to see if it holds together as an album or is it just a collection of tunes. Well, we're going to find out. And tonight, joining me again for the second time on Long Play, Tom Panarese. Tom, welcome back to Long Play. Thanks for having me again. Um... I've, I've, I'm blown away that I get to talk uh, not about not just one of my favorite albums, but two of my favorite albums on this show. So thank you for having me on again. I really appreciate this. Uh, as we spoke last time, we did Billy Joel, The Stranger, and I mentioned then that what a surprise. That was a great surprise to me because it wasn't on my list of, of, of albums that we would be doing for long play. Tonight's album, which we'll get to in a second, I thought eventually... Either I'll get around or somebody will get around to tonight's choice. But uh, your choice last time of Billy Joel the Stranger, great choice. And if you haven't listened to that yet, people, go to Two True Freaks Network, download Long Play. Actually, you should subscribe to Long Play. <laughs> but Tom, you're back now to talk another about another one of your favorite albums. What have you chosen for us tonight? We have Bruce Springsteen's 1975 album, Born to Run. So when you and I started talking online about doing this, this was one of the first ones you mentioned. And I went, bingo, <laughs> we got us a winner here, boys and girls. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this album tonight. Uh, what's your experience with Billy Joel? Now, obvious, I mean, Billy Joel, <laughs> with uh, uh, Bruce. Now, obviously, Bruce Springsteen. Obviously, this is uh, an album, uh, Born to Run, that uh, came out uh, a few years before you were born. Yeah. So you you had to go back and find this, which brings up another question. Do you have a sibling, an older sibling, an older brother, an older sister? Uh, I do not. Um, well, how, how did you get your music as a kid? How did you find these things? A lot of times, the radio friends who had MTV... Um, my friend in – one of my friends, my friend Evan, when we were about eight or nine years old, had born in the USA, which everyone had born in the USA. And Everybody had yeah, – Yeah. So and then that, I eventually – that was my first Springsteen album and it's still a personal favorite. And uh, I got a CD player for my birthday uh, right around the time I was – it was my 16th birthday. And um, – I was, it was my fifteenth. I think it was my fifteenth birthday. Either way, it was. I was a teenager. I was in high school, and I had started really getting into music for real. And I still had that Springsteen tape that I had worn out. I had went and gotten another copy by that point. I had worn "Born in the USA" through, and when I wanted to get into more Springsteen, "Born to Run" was the first album I thought of because it was the only album, I, other album I knew of, aside from, uh, um, I think. 
Tunnel of Love, or like one of the ones that came after Born in the USA, because I had that as well. But uh, but yeah, so Born in the Rome is the first one that I got on CD. Uh, and I think I got it for my birthday or something because I had asked for it. But yeah, so I was like, that was that was just the next logical choice. And uh, I have loved this album for 23 years or so. Well, as we talked last time, you're from Long Island. I you am. were born in Long Island. Yes. So uh, right across the, the, the river, I guess, from from Jersey. Yeah. And uh, so I guess... Uh, you know, you, you kind of have to, I, I think when you're young in that general area up there, uh, I, I think it's kind of required listening to uh, Bruce Springsteen. Um, yeah, he still gets, this would still get a lot of play in pieces mm-hmm. on classic rock radio uh, up, up there. Yeah. So I'd hear Thunder Road mm-hmm. and I'd hear Born to Run. Right. Maybe another. I still one. hear those two. Yeah. I, uh, occasionally, you'll hear "She's the One." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but uh, but you know, "Born to Run," "Thunder Road," of course. Uh, uh, have you ever seen him live? Have you ever seen Bruce uh, live? Once um, at FedEx Field outside of Washington D.C., my wife got me tickets, and it was—I don't remember the exact date. I'd have to look it up, but it was the day after Johnny Cash passed away. And he opened with uh, Ring of Fire. He just came out with a guitar on stage and and, and covered Johnny Cash. Mm, okay. And he and then he went through. Um, this was the Rising mm. tour, so he played a lot of songs from the Rising, which is another album that I absolutely love. Um, but he he went through like he went into his back catalog in a way that I was like, wow, like songs that I had heard people, you know, when I would go and look up, you know, what people were saying about the concert or, or his tour that he was digging into that he hadn't played for years and stuff like that and uh, stuff off of The Wild, The Innocent and, and other stuff. And um, it was a great, it's 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 a religious experience to see a Bruce Springsteen concert. It, it really is. It's just that good. <laughs> it, and he doesn't have an yes, opening act is. and he just goes on for hours. <laughs> He, he he leaves it on the stage. He absolutely leaves it out there, mm-hmm. and not just him, but everybody in his band. Oh yeah, uh, just they 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 put everything they've got into every song, and they leave it out there on the stage, and it's it's exhilarating and it's draining as well for an audience. You're just you want more, but you're not quite sure you could even handle any more. You're asking for an encore, but you're not sure if you could take it if he came out and did another song. It's just, he's an amazing, an amazing entertainer. Um, yeah. The first time I saw Bruce Springsteen was the, was the Born to Run tour. I worked in a rock and roll radio station. We sponsored them. We had tickets. Yeah. We would do things like, anybody want to go see? And you think, mm, you know, I just saw them last time. I think I'll pass this time. <laughs> That's how many. That's how much we were, you know, going to concerts. Literally four and five times a week, we were going to see a concert. The first time I saw Bruce Springsteen was for this album's tour, the Born to Run tour in 1976, I guess 75, 76. He the album had just shortly been released. I had been working at the radio station for only a couple of months, so my head was kind of spinning anyway. You know, I come. I had come from a very conservative retail job to now I'm supposed to be selling advertising and doing a part-time weekend filler show uh, on uh, a rock and roll radio station. And all of a sudden, the sales manager says, uh, you like the boss? I thought he was talking about our new manager, <laughs> the new boss. And I'm going, well, you know, he seems like a nice guy. I'm, you know, he hired me. So, you know, I'm trying to be nice. And he says, no, 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 The boss. And he shows me a couple of tickets. And I look at them. And it was for Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run tour at the theater here in town called The Mosque. An uh-huh. absolutely gorgeous 35 seat, 35,000. 3,500 tops 
like a 3,000-seat theater. Absolutely beautiful. It's the home theater for the Richmond Symphony. Uh, he gave me two tickets. I've been to the radio station for like two months, and I thought, man, I think I'm going to like working here. I've got two tickets to go see Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run show. And it just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. And he was on stage the whole night. It was just, just, just so incredible. I think that's a great place. Why don't we just start the music now? Let these people know what's going off. And what do you think right off the bat, the first song on Born to Run? Thunder Road. The screen door slams, Mary's dress waves. Like a vision, she dances across the porch as the radio plays. Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me and I want you only Don't turn me home again I just can't face myself alone again Don't run back inside, darling You know just what I'm here for So you're scared and you're thinking that Up until this point, he would come in, and, and really up until Nebraska, he comes in with, you know, guns blazing, so to speak. This song builds, and and at the end, it's that that grit, it's that climax of the song and the story, but it, it starts off that piano and the harmonica, and that's it, and, and the lyrics, and but oh, this is such a um, great great way to start an album well one quick radio story too i, I don't want to you know dominate with radio stories you're not but, uh, <laughs> but uh again i've been working at the radio so just a couple of months when this album came out so um uh i remember the music director at the time steve forrest was our music director the t- director at the time and in our radio station, ours was more, uh, each show was kind of personality driven. So the morning DJ would sound totally different than the guy who came in for noon and totally different from the guy in the afternoon drive time. They all did their own shows and they sounded different. They played different kinds of music uh, that fit within the genre of a progressive rock and roll radio station. But, um, and they would, you know, keep track of what they played. And when the guys, the following guy would come in, he would look and see what the previous DJ played during his two or three hours on the air and wouldn't play that, play any of those songs. He'd build his show from something different. Oh, very I remember cool. when, when, when this album came in, we got an advanced uh, studio copy of this. It didn't even have the famous cover. It just had a white cover mm. with um, uh, 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 a stamped on the front of the white cover, just like somebody had stamped it with, you know, typical text fonts, Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run, and the date and the record company, okay? No pictures, nothing. So the uh, Steve came out, he took 
like he always did, we were getting, I mean, boxes of albums came in from companies every day. So, you know, he has to go through all that stuff. And we were playing earlier Springsteen albums. It wasn't, you know, anything special, but this was an advanced copy. And so Steve went back into the uh, production studio. We had an on-air studio and then a production studio where all the commercials were recorded and edited and stuff. And he was gone like, I don't know, five, ten minutes. And he came back out and pointed to a couple of the other DJs and said, uh, you guys, you need to come over here. You need to hear this. Well, like I said, I've been there a couple of months and I'm thinking, well, they're going. I think I'll go back there, too. <laughs> So I went back in the studio and Steve put the needle down again, vinyl, put the needle on the first track. And we all just sat there in the studio middle of the afternoon. Well, it was actually morning it was previous to lunch, sat there in the studio and listened to this album all the way through and just thought, oh, my God, Springsteen just upped his game a whole lot. He had to work. Bruce Springsteen, we think of him now as this mega, mega superstar. Yeah. And this was, I think, his fourth or fifth album. He, it took him a while. He was a regional hit. He was big in New Jersey. He was big in some places in the Northeast and on the East Coast. But once mm-hmm. you started getting below the Mason-Dixon line, it was Alabama. Yeah. It was, you know, it was Southern Rock. It was, it was um, Almond Brothers. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But then Steve calls us, and we listened to this, and we thought, Oh my God, who's going to get to play this first? And everybody was, that was, we played this album for two days straight. Everybody was playing it throughout their entire shift. And because we were a progressive radio station, we didn't have to just play whatever the record company was going to say. This is the first single from the album. Play that. We were playing it all, not Mm -hmm. knowing what the first single was going to be. And then less than a month later, I've got two tickets in my hand to go see this tour. Oh, gee. I thought, I think I'm going to like working at this radio station. (laughs) So, so, uh, didn't mean to dominate, but that was my experience with playing live or seeing him live. And, uh, with that, let's start the album. First song, Thunder Road, which we've already listened to, which will now lead us into the second song after Thunder Road, which again, brilliant the way this song, this album is laid out. Going from Thunder Road, which started kind of piano, jingly jangly building, and then that great mm-hmm. voice of his yeah. in Thunder Road, and you're and describing the person, you know exactly who and what he's talking about in mm-hmm. that first song. Yeah, and um, it's funny we talked about the stranger and moving out, and they both of these albums begin with almost the same something. Of getting Feel, out of town. Attitude. Yeah. This is a lot more yeah. This is a lot more desperate. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and and uh but Moving it, Out but was almost hopeful. Moving out is almost hopeful. He was almost saying, Look, this is your life. This was fine. This is not the what I'm thinking of. I'm moving out to find my own to make my own thing. This one is more not I am moving. this one's I gotta get the help out of here yeah. we, and, we've got one last chance to make it real it's, that's a <laughs> line my friend shell who's a this is her favorite springsteen song and it's that line that she just absolutely loves that line i love that line too um and she goes with them at the end too because yes. you get that great last that last verse um of him just kind of the parents crying, the graduation gown lies at their feet and they're off in the wind. And then we have that triumphant, uh, outro, which is very, like, like I just mentioned, moving out, moving out has a very similar structure where there's this great musical piece at the end of I'm getting the heck out of here, you know? And, and that's what I love about this song. It's such a great opener. Yeah. Good tune. Good tune. And it moves into, 10th Avenue freeze out.
follow-up to Thunder Road. Really good follow-up to Thunder Road, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's basically the band biography song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, that... That he's made no bones about it. It's basically here's the story of the band. But yeah, and it's it also um, it feels it feels uh, it gives a kind of a connection to his previous album, uh, the Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle, uh, with which has songs like Rosalita and that sort of stuff. That sort of big horn section and and uh, a really really good um, piece that when played live is almost like a big party, which which uh, this is definitely meant to feel like. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a feel good tune. It's mm-hmm. it's it's in it like you say. It's a good introduction of the band. It lets you know what's going on, and it's perfect placement for this song on this album. You got a great start. It, 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 that first song lets you know that you're in for something special, just mm-hmm. with the piano, then his vocal, and the way that song builds, and then it takes you right into this. And it's almost like he's saying, "Here's a great song, and now this is who we are." And then we're going to tell another story. So yeah. come on for the ride. Really good instrumental in the middle of this thing. Just. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's just this. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those songs you just listen to. It's and then great, he learns great. to play guitar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the yeah. big man joins the band. Yeah. Oh, man. And then, God, that sax. Huh. Oh. Oh. Yeah. yeah if I re- was forming a band, I think if I needed a sax player, this is the guy I'd go to right here. Oh, there's a reason he's on the cover. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, great, great song. Yeah. And, I, and again, as good albums should do, takes you from one song, and while you're still thinking about, wow, that was really good, the next one just picks you up and takes you right in and just says, no, 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 wait, wait, I got more. Listen to this. Come over here. Shh, shh, come here. And then we go into a song called Night. First of all, it's the transition is is just it's I don't want to say it's jarring, but like you know you've got this sort of Tenth Avenue freeze out that kind of fades away and it's like and it's like right into the next song and then that the saxophone takes off and everything. Um, it's very fast. It's it's one. Of, it's I think it's the fastest paced song on the album, and. Um, I see a little bit of this in Out in the Streets off the mm-hmm. river a few years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a little more sad. And he, he was, um, there's something, uh, he's talking about like drag racing and, and it's, there's a lot of this, the persona on this album is very James Dean in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's an accident. And, no, I don't think uh, so either. With the jeans, yeah. everything about the way he looks, his dress, there's no accident with that. And he's a big fan of those movies, so... Uh, yeah, I don't think there was any accident at all in that. Except that he's basically talking about a race car instead of a motorcycle. Yeah, basically. And then and, and, and that, that's... You, you get that feel to it. There's a... There, uh, Thunder Road and this have an adolescent feel to it. Um, a little bit angsty. Uh, and, and there's a lot of passion in this. And, and I think it comes through in the music as well as the... Um, uh, of the the scene he's describing here of, of all these people going to 
to see uh, just basically like a, a drag racing circuit or whatever, you know, or, or street racing or something, whatever, whatever he's mm-hmm. describing here. Well, it's so. it's kind of a even though this was, yeah, even though this was in the mid seventies and a lot of the kinds of things he's talking about in this, like from the movie Diner or stuff, where or not Diner the. Uh, American Graffiti. Yes, American Graffiti, where the car was uh, the teenager's central thing. That was your mm-hmm. that was your escape from the house. That was how you met up with all your friends. This took me right back when we got together in the late sixties. I was in high school. You get your driver's license. It's freedom. You couldn't wait. And what did you do with it? You and a couple of guys would be driving around all night, trying to go from one fast food drive-in to another to another. And the next thing you know, here's all the cars are there. Everybody's there. The sounds are there. The music is there. Uh, it was a fun way. I don't know if it's still being done, but this song reminded me of that kind of feel, of that kind of attitude where the car... Uh, literally was your apartment, your getaway. It was, you know, and we had junk car. I mean, I, my first car was a 56 Chevrolet and I often thought of it as a hot rod, but I literally was not a hot rod. It was bought. Uh, I bought it with, uh, uh, yard money, you know, mowing yards mm-hmm. one yeah. summer. And in fact, one of my clients said, look, uh, would you rather have the car or the money? I mean, he was getting ready to junk it. And I said, hey, I'll take the car. And it was like a periwinkle blue 56 Chevy. And uh, a friend of mine and I did a little engine work on it, got it running. Nice. But, uh, it was nice. I had a good time with it. But that's the kind of stuff we would do. You'd buy a $400 car and drive it until it died. And then, you know, you'd find another one. Mm-hmm. Good old days. But yeah. this song reminded oh, yeah, me of that, with that kind of temperament and attitude and uh, a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, and you know, even though I was I was in high school in the '90s, there was still a lot of that feel to it. I mean, we were driving crappier cars than that. I was driving a Hyundai Excel, but that <laughs> but it was, was your like, Hyundai Excel. It was my Hyundai Excel, and it was even just even if I had nowhere to go and I just wanted to get the heck out of the house for twenty minutes, I could get in that car and be like, "I'll That's be it. back." And, and, so I know that feel, and, and yeah, you're That's right. I, I can definitely relate to that. Well, you talk earlier about uh, where we live, actually, in real life, mm-hmm. you and I. Yes. Uh, both of us in Virginia. And that street I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Broad Street, if you're not familiar, people, with, with uh, uh, Richmond, Virginia, its main drag is called Broad Street. And it's been here since the beginning. Thomas Jefferson actually put it there it it fans out from the capital and it goes all the way to one of thomas jefferson's favorite cities charlottesville so our downtown street in richmond is the downtown street in charlottesville they connect each other and in the 60s i will never forget this i got my driver's license in 1967 68 it was actually a little after january 68 got my driver's license Mm. and uh as soon as the snow thawed in february or march my first road trip in that 56 chevy was to charlottesville it was get on broad street and go and uh go up to charlottesville drive around the campus up there there was a record shop I used to love to go to on the campus or right outside the campus in, on Charlottesville, downtown Charlottesville. And I'd go there and look at all and pick up some uh-huh. of my Beetle, got some of my Beetle bootlegs there and, uh, oh, wow. you know, drive back and uh, loved it. And, well, gas was less than a quarter a gallon. Yeah. 25 cents a gallon. So, uh, which then takes us, speaking of driving, takes us to our next song, After Night. Not as jarring as a transition, maybe. No. Is Backstreets.
in the back streets how gorgeous is the piano on this song <laughs> i just um uh, and and the lyrics match it so well it is him doing best friends blood brothers and he do the, this is a recurring theme of his songwriting mm-hmm. and it's are very important to him yeah um, and there's this betrayal and this broken friendship in here. It's a it's a tragic story. Um, and there's a it's like you were saying how how he he kind of loves these old this movies and this that, that culture and it's almost like they're in a movie type of place mm-hmm. through a lot of the songs in this album and um, it's just. Uh, it, what's funny is this album is so full of testosterone. Yeah, musically, musically, in a way, in a way that is that is that hits a lot harder than um, like an ACDC album or something like that. Uh, which because ACDC right. is full on testosterone, but and not and there's nothing wrong with that. But like Springsteen here, it's it's a there's a visceral nature to that. And even mm-hmm. on a, on a piece that is very, uh, it's not guitar driven. It's piano driven, which you wouldn't expect of a sort of, you know, um, such a testosterone filled piece. But it still has that. There's still that 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 energy that you get from it. But then again, um, in, I'm going to bring up Billy Joel again. In the liner notes to one of his albums, Billy Joel reminds us that the piano is a percussion instrument. Yes, and that's where you get that from, and and there's you know there's a beauty to this, but there's also a you know a forcefulness to this and, and a strength to this um, in the music, and then in the lyrics, it's this you know this this sadness, this longing, this you know you're my friend, what happened, and this is you know thinking about the past and us and you know his voice. You mentioned the the energy in the piano. But it's also the vocal. The vocal matches this thing so perfectly. The energy and intensity in his vocals. Um, it's it's in fact throughout the whole album, it's almost like he's you know feeling it for the first time as you as you listen to this. You know, there are some songs yeah. that you can tell they've rehearsed them to death. You know, he sings them the same way every time. Sometimes listening to this song. Or this album, in fact, it, you almost get the feeling with the energy and the way he vocalizes that he's doing it emotionally for the first time. And we know for a fact that's yeah. not how albums, especially at this point in his career, with the producer and the way this album was produced, um, they spent some time making sure. The sax yeah. comes up when it's supposed to. The guitar disappears when it's supposed to. The piano and the vocal are there together. So um, this yeah. is this is a beautifully produced album, but it doesn't lose that that intensity yes. that you hope to get when you're on, when you go to see Bruce Springsteen on stage. You know you're going to get raw energy, but controlled raw energy. You know, yeah, it's just this, at any second he's going to lose it, but he never does. Yeah, this takes the, the energy that was on the last album and just tightens it up nicely. Yeah. And you're right. This is just a well-produced album. It's a really tight album. It's not a very long album. It's about 40 minutes long. Yeah, it's really and, short. Uh, and it, and he, he puts a lot into that 40 minutes, and that's because um, he's 
I don't want to say he's reined in, but he's definitely like you know, um, cognizant of what's of of what he has to do here, and then you know, get your message across in such a in a you know, right away in a quick quick way, short period of time, you know, with the exception yeah, of like one song on the album here. Right. Well, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact, like I mentioned, that uh, unlike Billy Joel, who will bring up Billy Joel again, but that's fine. Uh, unlike Billy Joel, who right after his first album hit, he went from being a lounge singer, basically doing dinner theater and dinner clubs to filling stadiums after his first album. I mean, he just went gold. He hit instantly went to the top. Springsteen. Even when you go back and listen to his first albums, you, with hindsight, you say, well, why didn't, why didn't everybody love this? Why weren't people buying all of these things? Why did it take him three or four albums to hit that arena mega stardom thing? Why did it take Born to Run to become his Sgt. Peppers? Why did, why did it take that? And did they know going into the studio? I think... Yes, I think when he wrote most of this material, he knew. And when he got into the studio, I think they knew they had some good material here. And they really wanted this to be that album. And not only does it work musically and lyrically, the whole package, when you look at the full vinyl album with the open, full cover open, and everything about this album was put together so well. I think because they knew, I think it's because they knew, they knew the material was strong. And when they recorded the first two or three songs in the studio, I think they knew they had something special. And that's why I think the producer, uh, we don't have eight, nine, 10 minute songs here. We don't have, if you go see him live, he may do, uh, uh, she's the one and take it into another place and end up in the middle of that doing a beach song or something. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he'll jam and and yeah. bring in old songs where they're set. This yeah. album, though, is tight from song yes. to song to song. It's tight. It's well produced, and it only the song seems to go as long as it needs to go. It's not mm-hmm. a minute or one second longer or shorter than it needs to be. And like like. I'm going to mention vinyl again, because that's how I heard all of these songs originally is vinyl. Yeah. Which is a great segue into the next song. The, the, ne- yeah, the next song is song one, side two of Born to Run. And it is perfect placement of that song. You think you have heard a great side of an album listening to side one with the way it starts ending with backstreets you think wow great rock and roll album what's next the greatest rock and roll song (laughs) of all time practically right so then he starts side two with the cover song which is as you say one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever recorded born to run boom a great song or is this a great song it, 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 i don't know that this song could be any better than it is it is it's a shot at the title it's if you, and if you're gonna do it you do it big and oh man this is just it, it it needs to be bombastic and it is and oh 
that last verse, you just, you sing that last verse with everything you have left. And, uh, and you mentioned you mentioned earlier when we talked about him in concert about him leaving it all on the floor. Uh, this this is what this does in the studio. I mean, you don't get that out of a lot of studio recordings. It is just no. Huge. And the fact that in a studio recording, you get a feeling as if it's done like in the old days where they did with the Beatles. They set microphones up. All four of them were there in the studio playing it. Yeah, this song. Um, sounds that way it sounds like they are all right there in the moment playing one of the greatest rock uh, songs of all time and it's a studio production album and it, it a song and it's yeah it, it is God and you just and again when you listen to this and I think both ways listening to it either as an album uh, old file old style vinyl where you actually have to have a break and you think wow that was a great side what's coming up now and you put the needle down and go oh my god boom kicks it into high gear i think of other albums that did this and uh, i'm not going to name a bunch of them but there's a bunch of albums that tried to do this other albums would say i'm going to put a good song here on side one side or side two song one side two but it's not going to be the title album. It's not going to be possibly the best song on the album and possibly the best song uh, or one of the greatest songs ever recorded. I think yeah. of the Beatles, Sar- the great Sgt. Pepper's album. What did they start side two with? One of George's songs with the sitar, Within You, Without yeah. You. Totally different than anything else, which leads you to the great ending of that album. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Abbey Road did the same thing. They started both sides with kind of building songs, mellow songs, to build into the rest of the album or towards the end. Bruce Springsteen, whoever decided to put this song here, it was a genius. It was just an absolute stroke of genius. They could have started the album with this song and no one would have balked. No one would have said, you know, wow, that doesn't belong there because album is called Born to Run. Born to Run, first song. Hey, Logical. Somebody in the studio, Bruce, the producer, somebody said, you know, what about if we make it uh, the first song on the second side? Okay. (laughs) But even listening to this, now obviously listening to it, I don't listen to it on vinyl. I didn't flip it over. Uh, I listened to this album uh, over the last couple of days as a complete album from one song to the next. And even with minimal or no gap between backstreets hitting this you get the chill on the back of your neck it's just everything just you just go whoa it just picked up again everything now just picks up and all of the band members are into this the lead guitar the saxophone his vocal the saxophone just kills absolutely kills yes yes and when he screams out baby we were born to run yeah. yeah, we were, we were born to run. What a great, yeah. great, great song. Yeah. And then he slows it down a little bit, you know, with the next song. And uh, one of my favorite songs on the album, this became a hit. Yeah. I think the whole album's a hit, but uh, following Born to Run, he barely gives you time to breathe, slows it down a little bit, but really kind of fools you with this. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's just brilliant. Just brilliant. Yeah. She's the one. With a few of graces and the secret places that no can fill. With a Oh, 
First of all, I love where the guitar kicks in, and the woman in this song is so damn sexy. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, and it's not as sleazy as, say, that Rod Stewart song, Infatuation. Right. Yeah, but it's, it's, this is, there's, um, this woman who's the whole package, and she's just sexy and and everything, and, and, and he's definitely infatuated with her, and, you know. And once again... Again. Yeah, and once again, he's not hiding it in the title either. She's the one. He's telling you no. in this album, too, just like in the Billy Joel, the title, he's not hiding anything. He's telling you she's the one, yeah. and then the song explains yeah. it in detail, and you get a great image of the love, of the what he is feeling and why he is saying it. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song. I was going to say, you notice how it goes to a bridge but never comes back? Yes. It, there's... It's the 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 last lyrics are of the bridge. There's no verse after that. I thought that I've always thought that was clever, and I just love it. Just so so good. Yeah. And as a music guy, I love the music of this album. The way this album sounds, really, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Which takes us where? What comes after? She's the one. Oh, uh, melting across the river. Not take me to the river. Melting across the river. Almost like you're moving from Jersey to New York City again or something. It's It feels like a transition song. It does, doesn't it? If that makes sense, because of the song that comes next. And I've always associated this with Backstreet's. Not Backstreet's, uh, Jungle Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Jungle Land, so, right. Yeah, Jungle Land comes after this. This, this always, to me, I, it's hard for me to disassociate because they are... 
this feels like a lead into that. Yeah, that's one of my notes that that actually when you listen to it on the CD, there's practically no gap. It's almost like this is a setup for Jungle Land. Yeah, and this and the the storyline is very similar. I mean, you know, there's there's a down on his luck guy and it's this is his big last score because, you know, his girlfriend's going to sell his stuff cuz she's just tired of him and and the music keeps itself a little bit sleazy and and he's just trying to capture that seediness you know that um and he does it very very well again the saxophone that's such a wonderful instrument because the saxophone uh can uh, sometimes display emotions that uh some other instruments might be a little more challenged to do so uh I'm a trumpet player, and a trumpet could work here with the right trumpet guy. Yeah. But but the way uh, uh, the just the way the music moves in and out between the lyrics here and changes the lead, it's just brilliant. It's just really really brilliant um, orchestration. You know, it's not just a good song, but it really is put together well. It's orchestrated well. Yeah. And you know, he's got a very um, tight group, a really good, just technically, musically good group of musicians. Yeah. Do you have the list in front of you, by the way? Do you have that in front of you? I forgot to uh, to do that. Of, of who's of on the, the band members? Who's on yeah, the... who's on this album? I, I can try to do it from memory because I'm trying to remember. You've got Springsteen on vocals and guitar, uh, little Steven Van Zant, mm-hmm. who's also on guitar. Um, I believe on keyboards would have been Danny Federici. Right, good. Roy Batan, I think, was piano. Um, bass, Gary W. Talent at that point, maybe. Uh, drums is Max Weinberg, and saxophone, of course, is Clarence Clemens. Um, and, of course, Clarence Clemens, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and, that, and I may be off on one of the names. I'm, I'm coming, I'm taking it from a, of a mm-hmm. live version of that's pretty good. That's... that I have that's in my head. <laughs> so. uh, okay. right. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's really good off the top of your head. Yeah. Uh, I had forgotten the Tims in the middle, and, uh, but I think you're right on with all of those. Uh, and yeah. uh, what I really wanted to make sure is that we give uh, Clarence his oh, dues. The big man. Yeah. <laughs> the big man. The big you know. man. Yeah, God. just just yeah, so just... good. Which which again now brings us to the closing song on this album. And again, it's such a quick album. It's so it's so packed, so jammed. It is. And when it's over, you're going, "Wow, I just got to play it again." It's just so good. But it takes us to the last song, "Jungle Land."
great way to end an album. Just build the hell out of this song, don't you? This song is epic. I mean, it has a a, a lot of the a lot of the E Street Band would do session work through the late seventies. Right. And one of the albums that a number of them pop up on is uh, "Bad Out of Hell," and this has that sort of um, epic feel of something that that you know you would have seen put together by uh, by Jim Steinman or something like that. It just has that right a theater it, piece. In fact, it's it's it, exactly. I had written I had written West Side Story in my notes because it has that musical like musical theater feel to it I can see it. that absolutely um, that, that, and, and it's and at nine and a half minutes long it's yeah. longest um, song on the album and it just yeah, yeah. and but it, it it it's it's again we were talking about how tight this album is this song is so tight you get so lost in this song you do not realize that you have that nine minutes have gone by right when you and start to it got the, it got airplay there yes. was a there was a single version released of this that came in at uh, I think it was just under five minutes, but we never played it. I mean, we we never played it. It was it was <laughs> it was like well, you're cutting out that. No, no, no. You need all of that. So uh, most radio stations that did decide to play this played it in its entirety, and yeah. the DJs I, I would, would use it as pee breaks all over the country. <laughs> I would hear this every once because when I was listening to classic rock radio, a lot of times it was at night, around this time of night, we're recording yeah. this around 10.45 right now, um, while yeah. I was doing my homework or whatever. They would play this every once in a while in its entirety, just around the same way they play um, Stairway or American right. Pie, or you're right, somebody obviously had to go to the bathroom. But right. you don't want to cut this down because it just... it. Because it builds and builds and builds. It's hopeful at the beginning, and at the end, it is sad and it is empty. And it's important yeah. to note that it's empty because the main character is dead, and everybody just kind of shrugs and walks away. You know, it's it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy because everybody just kind of acknowledges that ah, life's just going to go on in Jungle Land. You know, and and that's the tragedy of yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. What a brilliant brilliant song. I know I've used that a lot. In fact, I used it a lot on both of the albums we've talked about, and uh, there's yeah. a reason. There's a reason, and uh, this album is uh, in the top 50 of uh, Rolling Stone's top 500 greatest albums, and I forgot to mention, Billy Joel actually number 70. Stranger comes in at number 70. Uh, out of the top 500 yeah. greatest albums of all time. So just because something is a top 40, you know, commercial success doesn't mean it's not good. Sometimes, like I said last time, sometimes, yeah. you know, popular stuff is actually good, too. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, this well, is other, just... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the other point I wanted to make is that there's eight songs in this album. So, you know, and I, I came of age in the 90s when CDs became the major format and right. just because you can shove 25 songs into a cd if you're a punk band or you can shove 15 20 songs into an album because you have a cd right. doesn't mean you should and this is a great example exactly. of this you know this does not need to, you're right this album is as long as it needs to be and anything else yeah is i just, think this is um, exactly as long as it needs to be. It is. Um, yeah. And that's why when, when uh, at the radio station, when we first heard the short version for the single of Jungle Land, uh, the music director actually said, you guys can play any, you play the album cut, play the album cut. That's uh, awesome. So, yeah, we, we never did. But, I mean, you look at this album as we come to the end of it. Holy moly, as Billy Batson would say. the It starts off... <laughs> with Thunder Road and ends with Jungle Land and the greatest song on the album is in the middle. Uh, it's it's just staggering. Yeah. And it flows so well. God. Well, I must say, because I was thrilled when you and I started talking about doing this and uh, you said, uh, when you said, do we take requests? And I said, well, what have you got in mind? And you said, well, 
What about Bruce? <laughs> yeah, what about Bruce? Yeah, no problem there. No problem. Yeah. What a brilliant, brilliant album, and I'm so awesome. glad you suggested awesome. this one. Well, give me some uh, closing thoughts on Born to Run as an album. It's an essential. Um, it is an essential if you are a fan of rock music. Uh, you, it is, it is so. In some cases, it's so much unlike a lot of other stuff that was coming out at the time, and it's so enduring. And uh, you know, I just think that if. I love Born in the USA, but if your only uh, picture of Bruce Springsteen is that song or, or, or Glory Days or something, um, or you poo-poo him for something like Dancing in the Dark or something like that, like, you know, go and listen to this. This is so, this is this, this raw talent captured so well, and the package is just so well done. It is, it is the very definition of a great album. Uh, and, and those don't come around as often as, as like. no, they don't. And I love the fact, I love what you say that it is, uh, an essential. I totally agree with you. Uh, if you're only going to have a, even a few dozen CDs, this needs to be one. I know yes. a lot of people will say that, you know, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, Sgt. Pepper's, Abbey Road, maybe the White Album. Uh, we mm-hmm. can list, you know, uh, off the top of your head, you can list Rolling yeah. Stone. I mean, you, you know, there are a handful of great albums that you can, everybody can list off the top of their head that most people have in their collection. If you don't have Born to Run as an album, if you just have Bruce's Best Of or Greatest Hits album, you're missing out on a wonderful listening experience to just put this sucker on. Uh, I, I, this is the last thing I listened to before I went to bed last night. I literally, just before you know everything powered down, I sat back, I pu- pulled up a comic that I'm reading for the show, and uh, I couldn't get through the first page of the comic. I put the comic down, turned the light off, leaned back in the chair, and listened to this all the way through one more time. I just put it on my car. <laughs> yep. It's great, great stuff. Great stuff. Great place to listen oh, to yeah. music in a car. You can crank it up really uh, loud. You're in your own yeah. environment. Tom, again, great choices, both with Thank the Billy you. Joel that we did before. I knew somebody was going to get around to doing Born to Run. I'm glad you suggested it. We got into this. I think it was a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed both listening to it, getting ready for this, and being able to talk to somebody who uh, considers it one of their favorite albums of all time. Uh, It's a real treat. Just a real treat. So thanks for being here for that. I do appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much. I know most people know where you are and know who you are, but just in case, let's close out and tell them where they can find you on the interwebs. My main podcast is Pop Culture Affidavit. It's also the name of my blog. That's at popcultureaffidavit.com. And the podcast feed is at twotruefreaks.com. I also cover the Marvel Comics series, The Nom, on In Country. You can find that over at Two True Freaks. And uh, even though uh, Taking Flight, which was a Robin and Nightwing podcast focusing on Dick Grayson, is not around anymore, back episodes of that are available over at the Batman Universe, which is the BatmanUniverse.net. Perfect. And you can find me, when I'm not talking music here on Longplay, you can find me over in my little corner of the world talking Superman on the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time. Thank you. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, 
space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.